0: Hi, I'm Kam. I'm an entrepreneur and BCom Honours Investment Management graduate.
1: And I'm Darren, a CFA chart holder and a newsletter writer. And
0: you're listening to the Upstart VC podcast.
1: A podcast where we talk to entrepreneurs about the things they're building and to investors about the entrepreneurs they're
0: backing. Hi guys, welcome to the first episode of the podcast. Today we're having a chat with the lovely Noli Tando Yeni, who is the founder of Tando Winery. The first segment of our show is an elevator pitch where each founder tells us about their business and why we should buy their product. Let's hop in.
2: Thunderwindery Winery is a concept that looks to being part of the full value chain of um, a wine vineyard. So initially started off as a concept of owning a vineyard, um, but realistically because of your usual constraints of capital, ultimately the vineyard produces a product that becomes wine which is what we consume so tando winery um, from a brand position is a luxury product like wine is it isn't a necessity or part of your grocery list but for some people it is um and it's 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 really the concept around it being tando um, and which is love in zulu it's my name but secondly, it is a in in this kind of like spike of mental illness. People not really taking care of themselves. People being inundated with how the world <laughs> works and their day to day responsibilities, either as a mother or a husband or a working professional. Um, it's always good, which is what the luxury industry is about. It's always good to give yourself a timeout. And to unwind and to uh, and and the concept around Winery is saying that by doing that, it's an expression of self-love and it's expression of um, you taking time for yourself
1: to recharge. You have arrived at your destination.
0: I think that's really dope. And um I think it's a perfect segue to just get started on some of the questions in your brand story you mentioned mental health and how it's sort of like a symbol to sort of love yourself by having a glass of wine or whatever the case may be right so I just wanted to know did you always know that you'd be an entrepreneur or is it something you stumbled upon
2: so I've always known I'd be an entrepreneur I I think a big part of me realizing that is figuring out where to start because I've always generally had an Eye or felt that I have an eye to see opportunities across the board. So I'm not like, I'm not the person who was passionate about any one particular thing and, and decided to make it a business. I've always um, been passionate about the concept of business, about being um, very self-sufficient, and also having a business that can last. And this is something that from high school, I used to sell t-shirts, I used to I used to sell a lot of things, but I was never a salesperson, and I think I established that very early that I'm I'm not a salesperson. I I'm, I'm, I find it difficult to sell, um, to sell products, but I, I have an eye for knowing that this is something that could move. And so, from with t-shirts, I remember I partnered with the most popular guy in high school, who helped with the printing and helped with getting, you know, matric dance jackets done. And it filtered into varsity. And in varsity, I think because of you know the financial difficulties that we faced, a very big part of my motivation in varsity for selling was um, being able to survive, to be, to buy because um, I didn't have a bursary. I had scholarships now here and there. My mom, um, so I kind of fell into the fees four fall category of the missing middle, who um, my mom was was employed, but had a lot of people who depended on her salary. And so she always prioritized my tuition um, to the extent that she could and my rent and um, my food. But then you also don't want to feel left out and feel like you're missing out on a varsity experience. And so a lot of um, the work I did and, this, and, and the businesses business ventures or the mini business ventures that I entered as a student was so that I could um, go out with friends, um, so that I could buy myself a few souvenirs just to have an actual full varsity experience. And I think at that point, I decided that I don't want to get into full employment. But again, you do a degree and, you know, as a, a Black young person in, in this country, realistically, you'd have to get into formal employment. Um, to be independent. And, and that's how I made the decision to get into employment. And I started looking for jobs and I started looking much later than most of um, the people that were in my honors class. So I was like, you know, already behind behind everybody else. Um, I, I, I would be shortlisted. I, I didn't know if I was going to be employed. So I was already thinking about, okay, how do I survive the next year potentially? um and 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 naturally for me it was what business do I start so the the business that houses wines was actually registered in 2009 when I was still Mm -hmm. in high school and and there have been many periods where it's been a shelf company in a way and there've been many times where you know you're just making 500 rand a month and I put it in the bank account and I think about okay I'm going to stock up this and that and and I mean, I've, I've done a lot of things from T-shirts to suites to um, earphones to um, bags, branded bags in varsity. That was what, a lot of what I did. Um, and, and, and then, and I think I've just always been interested. I was part of the Student Business Society at WITS. I was part of the entrepreneurship um, challenges and, 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 and all these competitions that you'd have as a student. Um, so I've always been interested in, in entrepreneurship. But it, it wasn't what I studied. Because I, I I didn't think that you need to study business. You kind of so I, I, I've always seen myself as an entrepreneur, I guess, and I felt like it was
1: something I have a knack for. Something that you mentioned is really interesting, and um, it's quite like relevant in the environment that we are in. Is that as a black individual, it's more it's safer to go into the corporate world than to. Try something or try and start a business on your own because you kind of, you need that level of security. And that's something that recently I was at a conference that we were discussing, like, why are there so few black entrepreneurs in South Africa? And one of the answers is basically because entrepreneurs, or at least university students or black kids that go to university they're more likely to go into corporate life because there is a level of security that that entrepreneurship can't necessarily give you so your answer basically also just confirms that that thesis
2: that was the that was the calculated academic decision that i made to Mm -hmm. get into um, formal employment Mm -hmm. and um a big consideration i think because i was involved in, in in so much of like business student business and entrepreneurship activity on campus Mm -hmm. it opened my eyes to like having the business that people dream about requires so much capital investment not just Mm -hmm. in the form of money but also just like Mm -hmm. in the form of time in the form of knowledge Mm -hmm. we don't put enough emphasis on the amount of knowledge that you need to have to have a sustainable and well operating and successful business and I think that was also quite daunting for me and felt like an easier w- w- form of survival would be to leverage off of the, the degree that I'm actually at Wits for.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, just a side philosophical topic. A side note.
0: So in your answer, you mentioned, you know, that a big part of the entrepreneurial pursuits that you've had thus far were birthed out of necessity, right? And I suppose that's the, that's the current like theme in a lot of people that have typical nine to fives a lot of it is out of subsistence sort of entrepreneurship where they have to have a side hustle here and there. Right. So mm-hmm. you mentioned starting, right. And I think that's such a huge thing uh, with entrepreneurs or with like people in nine to five that you get so caught up trying to like figure out how, how to start this thing. And for me, something like a wine, is like, what is this, you know, smallest possible step, to getting that actualized from something that's in your brain to an actual product that you have in your hand right now. So I think a lot of people would benefit from knowing what sort of steps you took to be able to, 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 to get that. It's like, you know, when you want to go for a run, the smallest possible step is to put on your running shoes and you're, you'll probably be motivated to go for a run. So was for you, was it, you know, getting your company registered or what does that look like?
2: It was spending money on the concept So the first, I remember the first time I spent money on it was getting the logo design. Because, I mean, thinking of the name, you're still in conceptualization phase, researching. That's all very important. Doing all your projections, that's very important as well. Getting all your invoices. All of that is, you know, you haven't spent a single cent actually. You, You spend time, a lot of time on it. But I don't think we value time in the beginning of a business as much as we don't, we undervalue it. It's a very valuable asset, but in the beginning, it's like, it makes it easy for us to kind of like fall off and, and, and let it go. But when I spent, um, I first spent, cause now you're looking for the cheapest code from a graphic designer. I first spent like 850 Rand on a design and I didn't like it. And then I spent <laughs> um, 1.5 on a design and I kind of liked it, but I really wasn't sure. But now I've spent 1.5 plus 850 mm-hmm. red. And I'm just like, no, this will have to do. And um, I th- I, so that was like the first kind of like logo. And then they did the labeling um, and they gave me the whole kind of like graphic design kit, And then I started um, going through the bottle design process and figuring out how much that would cost. And all those samples cost money, like spending money on those samples as well. And when, the, when you see everything live, I was just like, no, this logo is not going to work. It's a bit too, you know, over the edge. Yes, I want to push boundaries, but I don't want it to be like so different that nobody wants to buy it, well, buy the wine or falls in love with it or trusts it or thinks it's a credible product. And so um, I was now probably third year into my employment at that point, third, fourth year into my employment. And then um, somebody came to speak to us in our master's class who had their own wine brand and I had a whole conversation with her um and I mean I still didn't like her and so part of my critique with that with that product it was good wine but I didn't I could not connect and relate to the brand in terms of the look and feel of the bottle and I decided at that point that I just need to spend money on 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 all the aesthetics and um I I remember my first I the first time the first big spend was six grand on um just the local design and the label, label design that um, really fits the specs of what wine bottles look like, and that was the cheapest quote I got at the time from people who had um, lots of experience of many wine brand labels and all of that, you know. But when the when when the w- before it was even printed, when I got the works, the, the the initial sketches, I was like, "Wow, this is it!" And at that point. Um, um, it, it's now it, it feels like it's happening but you haven't even gotten your liquor license in place, you haven't even gotten your label registered with the regulators but because you feel like you've invested you really have put skin in the game you 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 take more ownership and you really see it through and from that moment where I spent um, um, six grand plus the 1.5 and the 8.50 that became basically wasted, well what some costs um i it was two and a half years until it, it it got it got it 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 got onto the shelves and I was selling it and for that two and a half years, I was happy to spend more and more money and budgeted and and, and part of my then now monthly budget became I need to make pay for this and that I need to pay um the municipality
0: so so admin. all of these costs just to jump in were were funded from your salary from your nine to five job. Yeah, oh, yeah. They
2: were. That. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I leverage that. And I I mean some of the time to go to government offices was lunch breaks <laughs> um, from my nine to five. But to motivate you or what gives you a vested interest rather in in your own concept for me has been at least putting some skin in the game in the form of what you find most valuable um, as, as an entrepreneur and as an investor. Because you're not just an entrepreneur in your business, you're also an investor in that business. And and so um, when I had invested more and more money, it, 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 I just felt like I can't lose it because money was a very big variable for me. For some people, money isn't a big variable, but it's time. And so investing that time would have to, so it's figuring out what, what moves the needle, what makes you scared of taking the jump.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and for me, it was the survival component, which translates into money.
0: Sure. Right now, up to this point, you've explained sort of the journey that you've taken from conceptualization to now having this business, right? And I think this is the perfect segue to sort of take a deep dive into the specifics about that business. Yeah,
1: cool. Um, Thanks for, for sort of explaining the journey that you went on. In terms of like once you decided, okay, wine is the thing that you wanted to do, how do you go about firstly doing some research to identify like how you want to position it? And then also like a two part question is once you identified how you wanted to position your, 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 your your product, how did you decide on then marketing that? And what is the marketing sort of plan again?
0: Mm.
2: So information is power in this sense, um, Darren. Um, so, I mean, initially it was desktop research, high level, figuring out um, how the wine market is split, mm. which isn't always clear, you know, because you're also a new entrant. You don't really have connections. And the few people that you know that are in the industry are also very, they're not forthcoming with information. They're forthcoming with how they relate to their business as a personal journey, but aren't like, it's considered like, you know, secret information to give somebody a deep dive into how the business model works. And so I, I, I was very, the, I think the, the, prof, the, the young working professional in me was very hesitant to start because I felt like, okay, I understand that there is a market and that the market is a lot bigger in the export space than the local consumption space and um and you've got this high level kind of like idea of how you could pivot the business but the business is only really real when it comes to wine once the brand is quite crystallized you
1: know
2: and that requires the local play a bit of a local play at least in my mind Mm. and so um people aren't so getting like word of mouth information is difficult um i started looking at like academic um papers a lot were um around you know uh, how you name naming wine and so i never thought that that was a big component i thought the quality of your wine you know as a person who enjoys wine and i'm like i love this i love um this wine brand and that which i don't want to name because it also they're also my competitors Um, But uh, I I valued those wine brands because I enjoyed the wine. But what I learned very quickly is that you're in an industry with probably maximum 10 suppliers, um, but you've got over 50 wine products or wine brands. And so really, there's quite a few wine brands that are using the same wine. And and, and then the, the, the way you think about your branding, the way you sell your brand... And 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 how you name your wine becomes all the more important. It's how you appeal to the eye, to the aesthetics. And this is why it's a considered a luxury industry. Because if you think off the cuff, the wines that you enjoy, you know, there are a few other wines that you don't enjoy. Not and and actually the quality of the wine is exactly the same. But as a consumer, you've already put so much significance to how you relate to the brand and how it's been positioned to you. And I think that changed the game for me a year and a half into my research because then I felt like I need to start from scratch. And it's so difficult um, doing that kind of research. And then there was the boom of Monang and her champagne. And you literally see it play out live. You've got your own live example around how um, having a relatable brand that appeals to consumers weighs so much more than the quality of your content. Of course, don't have like bad quality but given that the supply, the supply is actually quite, you know, it's one of a few players, you're almost all going to have similar quality. You could change, you could tweak it a bit here and there, that it's really the same, effectively the same kind of juice. So now I'm in a space that I have no expertise on. I have no expertise on branding or marketing or how you position. I have no expertise at all. And And being quite forthcoming to myself and honest with myself on that, so I started um, partnering first initially with people that I know who have got those degrees who work in the space okay. who then um, refer you to people who, who you have to pay for their time <laughs> and 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 a lot of a lot of backlash around naming it as a black name because of the experience in the market of how um, people relate to black named products you know and how, and vis a vis how. From an international scale, that can really appeal to like the tourist market from an African experience and that it brings more credibility because it makes it feel authentically South African. And that's your long game, but to, to get to that point, you almost need to have a well-established or a decently established kind of um brand locally. And yo, that has been, that is still ongoing work in progress. Part of what I've needed to do is invest in a Campaign manager, brand manager, who you know you you pay who you pay, um and and who you bounce off what your personal story is and then they they they've got the expertise to see how you position that, but it starts small. It really does start small. It really for you starts as your personal journey.
1: Yeah, that's that's but it's really
2: discerning about what you what your capabilities are to make sure that the business works.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's quite quite telling. You should have an idea of what you need help with, and and if you are able to identify, okay, I don't really know much about branding and marketing, then then to go out and hire somebody who you think will do a much better job than you. Um but that's quite telling as an entrepreneur and quite important, I think. Um, and just like how has how has it been received? How has the wine been received? Have, have you seen um, quite a strong following, um, or have you had to market quite? Significantly, to um to sort of get your brand out there, like what has been one of your biggest marketing channels? Like which channel have you used to to get some sort of traction?
2: Oh, the biggest challenge is um being able to see if what you're testing is working. Um, because data analytics becomes now a big component of it. Um, yes, you have a lot of followers, does it translate to sales or is it your, your network of people just continuously buying your product because they enjoy it and they value it and they'd rather spend their 150 rand on you as opposed to another brand that has a similar quality wine. Um, and so that's at the moment our biggest challenge. But um, so far it's been well received. You know, we've sent out some feelers um, in the market. And, and I mean, like the the your it helps set targets because if part of your vision is having it part of a big hotel chain you know and have it as a house wine day, they give you very clear feedback on love the brand works as a house wine doesn't work for my top tier niche particular clients um this is when um and they're very clear about when they can start investing when they can start to see the traction around the engagement with the brand and that's what we're working towards, like having more and more engagement with the brand yeah. for it to be outside of Tando and Tando's network
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: to beyond people that Tando didn't even, doesn't even know really. You mm-hmm. know? And, and we're starting to see some of that following filter through. The engagement isn't where I had hoped, but it is there. And so take your wins um, and, work on, on, and, and work and develop on, on, on how you can improve on what isn't working well. So at, in terms of our marketing strategy and our positioning, I think there's there's good reception. Okay. And, and, and part of good reception is also getting a sense of resistance. There's some players in the space that are sending emails, asking you to send your paperwork. Is it credible? Are you real? And part of that for me shows that um, you are a real threat in mm. the market, at least perceived potential real threat. You know, um, and, and that's good news.
1: Yeah, that's definitely good news. Wow, I didn't even know people would be like threatened and be sending, do you really have papers? Is it registered, et cetera? Wow, that's
0: crazy. Cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, there is that, especially when you're a small player because um, there are some black-owned wine wine brands that have been easily intimidated and have found themselves, you know, it's a brand that we know there's a website, but they're no longer make, sell, selling. They're no mm-hmm. longer getting orders and, and
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious, maybe just the last question in terms of like the business specific um, specifics, at least. Uh, I'm just curious, like how you went about actually doing or finding a partner that would uh, do the bottling and all of that, and finding the wine farm that you would buy the, the, the actual product from, essentially. How did you find it?
2: It's kind of part of your lifestyle, my lifestyle, at least. Yeah. Um, or every opportunity in Cape Town, we go wine tasting. And I guess when at least three, four years ago when I decided that this is a business I'd like to pursue. You ask and you engage. Do you guys supply? How does it work? And and vineyard owners are more engaging than you think. You just kind of need to put yourself out there, you know. Um, some are honest, but my best points of departure, I mean, I got in quite a few referrals. I'd almost been scammed. I mean, like as well, the people who sell fake. Um, wines and slap your label on it and it's not real it's not you know I I almost fell for that because again it seemed more feasible and less capital
1: yeah. so
2: you know falling for the shortcuts being very very wary about them but because I was very invested in being licensed having um, my own liquor license and having my brand my label registered with the regulator um, in my conversations and engagements with that I think when I spoke to somebody from SAUS, which is the South African wine industry um, um, wine regulator. He gave me like five wine farms that supply to most um, most um, um, wine brands and wine labels. And as you just befriend people, you have conversations because you also want to feel like there's a real connection, a human mm-hmm. connection between you and your suppliers because there'll be times where um you know, maybe your payments aren't reflecting that you've made them, yeah. and you need a bit of a favour, or um, you haven't factored the delivery. I remember my first, my first um, stock. I'd factored delivery costs. I don't know how I imagined the wine moving from Cape Town to Joburg. I just thought it was part of the cost, and I'd already made payments and I'd already calculated to the T each cost associated to that because there's the labour for the labelling is the printing that cost So I couldn't pay extra. And I, I asked, can that delivery cost be part of the next invoice? I'd never bought wine from this this my, my current supplier, this person. And I guess because there's an established relationship, mm. there was a bit of a leap of faith from, from their part. So, I mean, out of the five wine farms I was referred to, um, I enjoyed all of their wine combinations. I had tweaks to it. They were very welcoming. But I think I really connected with two wine farms um, and, 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 and just the human component of them considering me as a customer as well, beyond somebody they're helping get their business off the ground. And I really appreciated that respect, and that's how I decided who I'm partnering with. Those are the, those are the two wine farms that, um, at the moment, the two products on the line are with are on the market or with one wine farm. But the products that are subsequent products, like we're going to have an MCC range, we're going to have an non-alcoholic range as well, um, would would come from the other wine farm. And and that it just it came down to really the the relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think. As my career progresses, also I'm starting to realize that a lot of um a lot of well, what's important isn't necessarily just what you know, but it's also who you know and how you relate and and sort of those relationships are very important.
0: You know, they say with entrepreneurship, there's really two spectrums. There's really high highs and very low lows, right? So I'm just curious to know, you know, what were some of those moments um, for you in your journey? Uh, I think you can start with the low end and then you can end on a high note.
2: Um, so some of the lows have been, um, you've already, money's out the door, and um, there have been two other um, start well startup as in their small-scale um, wine brands where they could be serious brand confusion in the market, um, and that was quite a big law because I'm the you know last in, first out kind of principle,
1: yeah,
2: um, and really feeling like oh my word it's about to crumble. And I remember when when that discussion happened with the regulator, and it's all in the hands of those other brands. Are they comfortable coexisting with you or not? Um and, and threats is imminent. If you can feel it, I mean they, they'd feel threatened. I would if I was in their position, I'd kinda of just be like, no, I'm not comfortable. I came in first. I, I you know, it's my brand and I, I don't want it more you know, compromised. And for a good eight, nine months, nothing moved. Um, and that was a big low because I I really thought that this is not happening. You know, I, I got good news in July that we can go ahead, proceed. Um, And and then I started preparing for launch. But that was this year, July, during COVID, when I didn't even think anything would happen, really. I'd already convinced myself that, okay, another business opportunity will come Mm by. So that was a very, very big low for me. Um, But one really, one of my best highs um, was when I first... Submitted um, my application not with the regulator but with the licensing board, because um, you know you you don't always have the privilege of meeting some of the people who sit on the board and um they they wanted to meet and understand because I was talking about this is going to be a purely digital business, there's no store, so it's difficult figuring out how the licensing works. Because it's always linked to, like, you know, actual land, the site plan, storage, all of that. And actually taking somebody through your your model, your business model, and then regurgitating to you that actually you're a storage unit and the store is online. So we're giving you a license to store liquor and not necessarily sell it. And I never thought of the business that way. I never thought of the business in that, in that light, and even then I was like, actually, I'm not even really storing it. It comes to my spot. it stays for like a week and a half to be labeled, and then it goes to take a lot of warehousing, and that's where it's stored mm. and 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 being able to engage in that detail, I'd never had that much confidence in our um I guess of um, government offices. That somebody's going to unpack and try and put the effort to understand how your model works mm. and even enlighten you on your own model. I think for me that was that was a very big high. It's the smallest high, but it was quite a high for me. Um <laughs> and then outside of that, it was also launching, you know. Um there's a lot of panic that goes to launch, but yeah. seeing it actually go online and somebody make the first sale, it's priceless. You don't even know if you're pro- you're not even profitable then. You haven't even broken even,
1: but It feels
0: good. Yeah, yeah. seeing it as a real thing out there. Um, So I think we're just going to close now with the last question that we ask each guest that comes on our show. Um, So if you received an investment of $100,000, so approximately 1.6 million, um, depending on the exchange rate, (laughs) what would you spend it on?
2: So right now, I'd probably spend it on... um... The plants so the processing plants um because actually the full value chain of where i see my business requires 8.5 in today money terms million wow. um, but the business can start with so much less i've invested i've invested 650 k at the moment mm. um, so i've invested way less it's still a long journey you know of rolling out cap, capex but where I would in where where I'd get the capital investment you've got now, the next step would be um getting into the processing process, the processing element of, of my online. Um, awesome. So that machinery would like cost a good almost two million. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to come on our show. Um I think your story is a, is a real, like, ray of hope in the, you know, in the ecosystem. And you're just a beacon of, like, just positivity and energy and a testament of, like, what is possible if you just put a little bit of skin in the game and, and wait it out, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd really like to thank you once again for making time to sit with us and, and, and engage with us in this podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. The work you guys are doing is awesome um it's, it's mutually beneficial as well you know so this is more and more what we need to see this is the kind of activity we need to see in the market to to really see a change whatever that change means for you <laughs> yeah um, thanks thanks for having me be
1: awesome
0: thanks so much that's it for this week thank you for listening if you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you are not using an iPhone. We'll add a link in the show notes. If you had any thoughts on this episode or suggestions of guests or topics we should explore, please email us at highupstartvcpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.